China's renminbi has strengthened in recent days to a four-month high. That's because the US dollar has weakened and hopes are growing for an improvement in China's economy. We'll also hear about how Taylor Swift is set to boost Singapore's economy and why tent sales are going gangbusters in New Zealand. That's in our five things in five minutes. And then in our bonus deep dive interview, ANZ's head of G3 Economics, Brian Martin, talks about a massive change in the bowels of the world's largest economy, the United States, where the government is investing heavily in infrastructure. At best, the government can probably only provide maybe about 15% of the capital requirement. So what they're doing is they are using their public investment to attract private investment, say for the other 85% of investments that's required across these sectors. And that's something that we call crowding in. But first in 5 and 5 with ANZ. Global stocks were solid overnight with all the attention on the return of Sam Altman to run OpenAI. That was seen as great news for his backer and OpenAI partner, Microsoft. Its shares are up $10 a share from their lows this week to $378 a share. The S&P 500 is up 0.3%, the Nasdaq up 0.5% at 5am Sydney, Melbourne time. The US two-year Treasury yield is up five basis points at 4.93% after some relatively strong inflation expectations and jobs news overnight. That boosted the US dollar overnight, at least, versus the Aussie and the Kiwi and the yen. As of 5am, the Aussie was at 65.36 US cents. That's off its highs of over 66 cents yesterday. The Kiwi is at 60.15. That's also off its highs. But the other big mover overnight was oil. It fell 2.5% to $75.90 a barrel for West Texas Intermediate. That's after an OPEC Plus meeting was delayed. That's seen as lowering the prospect for further production cuts. Number two. Just looking back over the last week or so, a range of currencies have strengthened against the US dollar, including the Aussie, the Kiwi, the Yen, and the renminbi from China. This is all about the US dollar being weak as ANZ's head of Asia Research, Kun Go, explains. Importantly, it was the turn lower in the US dollar that has triggered the uh, demand for the renminbi. Uh, the US dollar decline was on the back of the market reassessing the Fed outlook following the recent uh, softer than expected inflation numbers. So with the market now looking for rate cuts from the Fed from the middle of next year, that's seen support for the US dollar come off. And as a result of that, you know, dollar weakness has resulted in a strengthening of other currencies. Number three, there's other factors too that have driven the renminbi up to four-month highs, including the reassurance to foreign investors from last week's meeting between US President Joe Biden and China's President Xi Jinping. Here's Kuhn again. And you know, with that, we've seen uh, uh, inflows coming back into China. So foreign investors are back buying Chinese bonds. And we've also seen a, a bit of an inflow into the uh, equity market through the northbound stock connect as well. Uh, in addition, there has been some further news about Chinese government potential support for their beleaguered property sector. And finally, uh, Chinese exporters, which had been hoarding their U.S. foreign currency receipts, are now starting to convert those proceeds now that they think we've seen the peak in uh, U.S. yields and the peak in the U.S. dollar. The renminbi is strengthened from 7.33 to the dollar to as low as 7.14 yesterday. Although it sagged somewhat overnight to 7.16, Kuhn sees the potential, though, for it to strengthen 
to the next technical support level of 7.1. Number four, ANZ's retail spending data for New Zealand shows sales of tents and awnings are up more than a third in the last couple of months. Some people seem to think it won't rain so much in New Zealand this summer. Here's ANZ's New Zealand Chief Economist, Sharon Zoldner, to explain. So while most discretionary spending is weaker, one marked exception has been tent sales, which have been a lot stronger in the last couple of months, even seasonally adjusted. So perhaps people are looking at the forecast for a drought for a dry El Nino summer and thinking uh, this year might be uh, the right year to go and sleep in a tent somewhere dry. Number five, Singapore's GDP growth was revised up to 1.4% in the September quarter from an initial estimate of 1%, says Kun Go, who thinks Taylor Swift might help early next year. That's consistent with uh, other indicators that we track. My favourite one is uh, electricity consumption, which showed an improvement and uh, importantly an ongoing rise over October and November so far. So that suggests that there's strong momentum in the Singapore economy as we head towards the end of the year and we should see another uh, robust uh, GDP print for Q4. The tourism recovery also continues to uh, travel along quite well, contributing to an uplift in the retail and hospitality sector. So, for example, the number of passengers going through Changi Airport is starting to get close to pre-pandemic highs. I think we should get there uh, by the peak of the uh, tourism season towards the end of the year. Certainly, we should achieve that when uh, Taylor Swift's Eros tour hits uh, Singapore in February next year. ANZ's Kuhn go there documenting the Taylor Swift effect. Now, in part one of our bonus deep dive interview, we hear from ANZ's head of G3 Economics, Brian Martin, about the pivot to industrial policy in the United States under President Joe Biden. The focus of industrial policy and how to secure sustained economic growth really intensified following the outbreak of the pandemic when we saw a breakdown in supply chains globally, and that left countries vulnerable. So I think building economic security, boosting productivity growth, and increasing wealth and income growth are really at the heart of industrial strategy in the United States, but also elsewhere in the world. Can you give us a sense of what were the main parts of the legislation that uh, Joe Biden has pushed through and and what areas of the economy are being most uh, affected? He's really focusing America's efforts on three main areas. As you've correctly pointed out, infrastructure and an efficient transport system can have very positive impacts on economic growth. So one of the current administration's laws has been the bipartisan infrastructure law. And that is setting aside about half a trillion US dollars to invest in infrastructure, roads, bridges, what you might call shovel-ready projects, but also digitalization. And that really at the heart of trying to make an economy competitive in the modern era. Uh, The other areas that they're looking at is the CHIPS and Science Act, and that's really shoring up America's capabilities in semiconductors, and particularly advanced semiconductors, so its industries can be very competitive going forward, AI being an example of that, climate being an example of that. And then the third law that they've passed is the Inflation Reduction Act, and that focuses on climate, where there's about $370 billion of spending being set aside uh, to support the uh, 
modernization of the climate infrastructure in the states to make it capable for achieving their objectives in 2050. So when you put those three together, it really is quite a powerful industrial strategy that uh, is at the heart of Biden's administration. And it's already having an impact on parts of the economy and maybe one of the reasons the United States economy has uh, grown more than some expected in the last year or so. Could you give us a sense of, you know, where we're already seeing increases in um, spending and in growth? One area that's going to benefit significantly is climate. One area that's going to benefit significantly are electric vehicles or EVs and the batteries uh, needed to power those. Now, when the Biden administration looks down and uh, says, well, you know, how are we actually going to get the money that's really required to deliver what we want to deliver for the economy? They are using public investment really as more than seed capital to try and encourage private sector investment. But I would estimate that at best, the government can probably only provide maybe about 15% of the capital requirement. So what they're doing is they are using their public investment to attract private investment, say for the other 85% of investments that's required across these sectors. And that's something that we call crowding in. ANZ's Brian Martin there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Thursday, November the 23rd. Look out tomorrow morning for the second part of that deep dive interview with Brian Martin, where he explains what that pivot to industrial policy means for global interest rates. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.